We are live from the Heartland Institute. Today, we're going to be talking about Biden declaring a climate emergency. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg doesn't care about the high gas prices. He just wants you all to get into electric cars. And also, they actually did an actual test of pickup trucks that are electric versus normal pickup trucks. And the results were about as what you would expect. We'll talk about these topics and more on episode 355 of the In The Tank podcast. All right. Welcome to the In the Tank podcast, episode number 355. Your usual host, Donald Kendall, is off today, so I will do my very best to do it at least 50% as good as he usually hosts this show. And I will start, as we usually do, by introducing our panel for today. Joining us is Chris Talgo, senior editor here at the Heartland Institute. Chris, how are you doing today? Doing good. Enjoying the nice weather, enjoying the nice heat. And uh, you know what, everybody? This is summer. In summer, we have hot weather. Calm down. <laughs> Tell it to Europe, man. They don't yeah. want to hear it. Also joining us today is the publications director here at the Heartland Institute, who is currently on mute, so he may want to fix that. <laughs> and his name is Sam Karnick. Sam, how are you doing today from Indianapolis, Indiana? Thanks, Jim. I'm doing surprisingly well, given that the world is about to end. <laughs> As it's always. Yes. And I'm, uh, my name is Jim Lakely. I'm the vice president here at the Heartland Institute. And I usually get to just be a guest and relax. But today I have to host and lead the discussion. I do promise at least one Jim rant, though, because I know we have at least three fans who really enjoy them, including myself. So, uh, so guys, before we get into our topics today, I want to remind everybody here listening that we are recording this live on Thursday afternoon. July 21st. Uh, the audio version of this podcast, which you can find anywhere you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, all those places. Just search In The Tank Podcast and become a subscriber. That would really help uh, spread the message of free markets and liberty that this uh, podcast is all about. Also, there's a lot of people here watching on YouTube. We have a dedicated In The Tank podcast channel on YouTube. I ask you to subscribe to that because sometimes we talk about topics that uh, are a little sensitive and YouTube has threatened to nuke our channel, the main channel, Heartland Institute from space. So we also put the podcast over there just in case we have to go there. Uh, it's kind of the emergency bunker for free thought. At least <laughs> we try to keep our head under the uh, under the parapet there at the In The Tank podcast channel. But you can also find this at Heartland Tube on YouTube. So we hope that uh, if you have not yet subscribed, that you will do so. And also hit the like button and help spread the show to your friends, because I think we have a, a good discussion every week and we also have a lot of fun. All right, fellas. So uh, our, our topics today, we, you know, uh, in the opening chit chat section, as Donald likes to call it, uh, we had put in the email that we sent out today, actually, that uh, it was one year ago today or this week, I should say. Joe Biden said that no serious economist and the economist in his administration sees any danger of runaway inflation. Uh, and at the time, I think inflation, the monthly or the year over year inflation rate 
was about 6.3%, something like that, maybe a little below 6%. And of course, we just got the numbers for uh, June and the June inflation rate year over year was 9.1%. Uh, it's been the opposite of <laughs> not runaway inflation. It has been runaway inflation. And also one year ago today, now I, I we all, if you pray, pray for the health of our president, Joe Biden. It was announced this morning that he has tested positive for the dread COVID-19. And uh, But he said exactly one year ago today, quote, you're not going to get COVID if you get these vaccinations. Sam Karnick, is this still a pandemic? Are they unvaccinated or what? <laughs> Evidently not. Uh, it's, it's really interesting because it's so shocking when Joe Biden says something that proves to be incorrect. I, I'm just amazed by that. And I like the way you connect it to what he said about inflation. Uh, the fact is that the, everything Joe Biden says is based on the desired outcome, which is more government. And I think that leads us to the conclusion that whenever we hear anything from Joe Biden, we have to assess it strictly in political terms. As far as the facts go, there's there's never any connection between Joe Biden and reality. Yeah, I think for sure. I mean, you know, all presidents fudge the truth. But, you know, this president is saying the opposite of truth, which in plain language are lies. <laughs> it's a whether you know them or not, Chris, you know, but, you know, it seemed like everybody in the world saw runaway inflation except for Joe Biden and his economic team. Are they so stupid that they didn't see that coming? No, I think it's the opposite. I think they think we're so stupid that we can't even see that prices are increasing in front of our very own eyes. Uh, I, I remember in the beginning of the administration when uh, inflation was starting to ramp up and there were a lot of economists, including uh, Larry Summers, who was by no means a uh, you know right winger, who was saying, guys, please pump the brakes. Please don't pass this one point nine trillion uh, you know, American Recovery Act. Maybe you want to think twice about passing this one point one trillion uh, bipartisan infrastructure framework deal, whatever you you know call it these days. Uh, and what did they do? They did the exact opposite. They spent and spent and spent. They printed money to no end, and inflation has increased almost every single month that Joe Biden has been in office. And it's preposterous for them to say at the beginning, "Oh, this is just transitory. This is just you know uh, temporary." When Joe Biden entered office, the uh, inflation rate was 1.4%. Here we are 18 months later, it's 9.1% with no sign of it coming down anytime soon. So, you know what? It just it's, it's, it's getting to the point where like everything he says, I just, you know, shake my head and say, okay, that's, that's another lie. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> sorry. And just, you know, real quick in terms of, uh, you know, Biden uh, saying that if you got uh, the COVID vaccine, you were, you know, free and clear and you had nothing to worry about. Uh, that was obviously not true. And these are not vaccines in the classic sense of the word, because a vaccine prevents you from getting the uh, the illness in the first place. These are these do not do that. They're not capable of doing that. They're not even vaccines. So. You know, he's got a lot of explaining to do, a lot of explaining to do, Jim. Well, you know, it, it is important to note that, yes, it is true that presidents often say things that are not true. The, but the, the question is, why are they doing that? Now, a president or any human being may uh, think things that are not true or that, that I think are not true, uh, but they think are true. You know, oftentimes you, you want to believe something or you have a perspective on something. So you, you see different aspects of an issue. 
But with with Biden, it is it is very clear that his desire is for more government, for more power to be centralized in this uh, in our uh, country, and that that he's not he's not really that picky about whether it's centralized in government or in business, as long as government gets to wag the dog mm-hmm. and and control those businesses. So so that's key because Trump, for all his uh, for for all his statements that may or may not have been true. Trump was decentralizing power. So it all comes down to which do you want? Do you want more more power centralized or do you want power decentralized? And that will determine what facts you're going to uh, uh, that what facts you're going to look at as most important and in fact dispositive on the issues. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think Chris, I think you were getting to it, or maybe it was Sam, about the idea of what's true and what you want to be true. Uh, the main topic of this podcast today is we're going to cover, we're going to play some clips here in a minute of Joe Biden's climate speech yesterday uh, in Massachusetts when he supposedly had COVID and shook hands with people and was on the plane and everything. So we'll see how that works out. By the way, all this COVID talk, just even saying the word COVID triggers all of the uh, algorithms. There will be a warning at the bottom of this YouTube uh, thing saying that where you can go to get your good accurate uh, COVID information. But that's why we have that second channel in the tank podcast, <laughs> because, because it could get us in trouble. Uh, one, so I, we hadn't planned to talk about you know COVID at all. The word was never even going to cross our lips, except for the news that the president got sick today. And, and Jim, just one more quick point. You know, when uh, Donald Trump was in office, literally from day one, actually from before he even became president, from, you know, when he announced his campaign, the press was constantly attacking every single thing he said. Joe Biden is the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. Only now is the press finally starting to just a teeny bit, you know, question, you know, is he responsible for inflation or had, did he kind of bungle the COVID-19 response? It, it, you know, it is it is incumbent that the, you know, fourth estate hold the president and hold, you know, government officials accountable. They're not doing it now. They did it. They they, they did it, you know, unfairly uh, for the four years that uh, Donald Trump was in uh, the Oval Office. So that's just, I think, like another piece of this that the American people, you know, they they see through this. They understand what's going on. They see that the media is 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 uh, trying to. Uh, you know, like hide Joe Biden and trying to hide his failures while they're yeah. doing the exact opposite. And and not only were they hiding Donald Trump's successes, especially on the economy, but they were actually going out of the way to say, oh, it's actually not as good as it is. Right, right. Yeah. They, they, yeah. He was having success and they would, yeah, they would underplay it. Like the fact that we were energy independent. We're going to get to that here in a minute as well. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's why we have new digital media like this. I mean, I think uh, the cable there was a story, I think it was the New York Times or, you know, one of the lefty outfits, maybe it was Atlantic, something like that. But the headline of their story was that cable news shows, you know, take a huge dip, you know, cable news programming taking a huge dip over the last year. That And the, the spin of it, of it was that, you know, people kind of have news fatigue after four years of enduring the endless crises of of Donald Trump. Um, <laughs> crises, huh? You ain't seen nothing yet uh, hmm. since, since he did, left office. But the, the the thrust of it was that, you know, people are getting tired, are tired of watching cable news. They're worn out. They're just burned out. Uh, and now with with the economy, you know, going into the into the toilet, they kind of have other things to think about and maybe don't want so much bad news thrown in their face every day because it's been bad news every day since Joe Biden was elected president. But like in like the third paragraph, they, they showed that I think it was CNN. Let's just, I'll, I'll pull these numbers out of the air, but they were definitely double digits. Let's like CNN's 
ratings were down 27%. MSNBC's ratings were down something like 22%. And overall, uh, you know, cable news viewing was down, say, 18% or something like that. And then they said, oh, yeah, but by the way, Fox News' ratings are up 13%. <laughs> so, it, so, but they tried to spin it as if everybody's tuning out of cable news. It's like, no, they're tuning out of the liars at CNN and MSNBC that have, you know, crummy programming and know they're being lied to and are tuning into other networks that they trust a little bit more. Look at that, Andy, the well, and producer extraordinaire finds it. It was on deadline. There you go. And as as you all know, I do actually watch MSNBC and CNN just to see how they, you know, spin and portray, you know, what's going on. And here's, I think, one of the main reasons why people are just refusing to even tune into them. They're not even reporting the news anymore. It's all January 6th. It's all Donald Trump and it's all 2024. Meanwhile, we've got a whole bunch of things happening right here in the United States that they are just not even reporting on, whether it's inflation or the border crisis or, you know, whatever. They just aren't even reporting on it. It's just Jan 6, Jan 6, Jan 6, mm -hmm. Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump. It's boring. It is really, really boring and repetitive. Yeah. And voters don't care about it. Uh, right. Maybe, I mean, Andy's so good. He'll probably find find the poll results <laughs> in, in a jiffy. But there was yet another in this. There's every polling outfit asks voters as we approach an election what issues they care about. Uh, January 6th registered in the single digits. I mean, nobody's yeah. paying attention. And climate change either came in at 1% or a 0% in one of those. So it didn't right. even rise to 1%. You had to, you had to roll or, uh, you know, average it down or round down to get to 0% for climate change. Yet that is all our ruling class in the United States and overseas seem obsessed about. And it's mm -hmm. because it's not about saving the climate, as we've said on this podcast a lot. It's about controlling society. It's about controlling our economies. It's about putting people into the boxes so they could be more easily controlled. People that have economic uh, freedom, countries that are uh, energy independent are hard to control. If you're always going to government to in enact policies that allow you to be free or to reduce your prices instead of letting the markets take care of it, uh, if you're always going to government for these for those answers, you're already have you're more than halfway to being controlled by government people. Sam, I know this is a big hobby horse for you on that on that issue. Well, the the thing about the uh, TV ratings, uh, like the weather, you know, temperatures they go up and down, and it is it is it is okay that the uh, that MSNBC is a little down and CNN is very down and and Fox is a little up. That's okay. Just report that. And, and then in your editorials and your op-eds say, you know, the public, they're really wrong. They're really messed up over there watching that Fox News, which they do anyway. But at least just report the facts. Tell the truth. Uh, the problem that the, the left and, and the progressives in particular of the left, I don't consider moderate uh, Democrats to be centrist. They're of the left. Uh, progressives are of sort of, you might say, the loony left. But the point is, tell the truth and make sure to tell yourself the truth. How on earth are they looking at those numbers that they're, that they're uh, putting forward in the story? How on earth are they looking at those numbers and saying, yeah, it's just, it's just a, a typical downslide after an election. People are less interested, but they're watching Fox. Well, right. did... Did Fox News change over to sports and entertainment or something <laughs> uh, after the election? No. If anything, they're they're just they're they're. 
I think they're probably more concentrated on policy now than they were during the Trump administration. Because during the Trump administration, they're, they're, they're always having to, to comment on Trump's mean tweets and, and or always felt the obligation to do that yeah. um, because, because as much as they will deny it, they want to be loved too by the kind of knuckleheads, that, uh, kind of wonderful people who watch CNN and MSNBC. So what happens is very normal things are characterized as catastrophes and and catastrophic things are categorized as perfectly normal. So January 6th is a catastrophe. A heat wave in the summer is a catastrophe. These are actually very normal things. Uh, Thomas Jefferson would have told you that uh, January 6th was was too mild. So... (laughs) So I think that what what the real problem here is the unwillingness to tell oneself the truth. Uh, I'm I'm willing to, we're all willing here to look at what the statistics say about temperature and weather. We've done it. We're all willing to look at the statistics about long-term trends. We've done it. We don't believe that they indicate an upcoming, much less imminent, catastrophe. Right. That's what we believe. The fa- We have facts that, that verify that. Those facts do indicate that to claim that it, there is a catastrophe coming is wrong, is false. There's no emergency. But if you keep telling yourself we need an emergency, you'll find one. Right. And that's what's happened here. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, that's a good segue for me, Chris. Unless you have anything to add on media bias. Yeah, I was just gonna say the only emergency was uh, CNN Plus. Sorry. <laughs> Come on, man. They oh, that was a catastrophe. That was. They could not save the patient. <laughs> Flatlined right away. All right. Meanwhile, Fox Nation is thriving. That's oh yeah. There you go. You know, it's funny if you. Well, we won't even get into that. But if yeah. all right, we'll just say if you, <laughs> let's leave them alone. Let's leave them alone. But if you're if you if you're uh, if your business model is, is lying to the American people and producing nothing but absolute 100% propaganda for one political party and movement in this country, don't be surprised that even people on your own side get tired of it and tune out. I mean, and that's the difference. Uh, I know that CNN has uh, a new president, and he vowed a couple months ago uh, that he is going to try to return CNN to its its you know historical roots from back in the 80s when it was where you would go for straight down the middle reporting of news um, it was probably biased then but it wasn't so bad that we saw it all at the time i think i think actually viewers today are a little bit more sophisticated than back then but then uh, my wife is just telling me this morning as she was uh, looking at her phone that cnn would like to hire Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski away from MSNBC to revamp their CNN's own morning show. So if that's your first move, you've learned the the wrong lessons of modern media. I can tell you CNN is not turning over a new leaf. At at least, at least the the signs are not pointing towards it at all. Yeah. Absolutely right. And what they're, what they're going after is, is some star power. And uh, Mm -hmm. if, if Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski are your stars, you have a problem. (laughs) <laughs> and when when, yeah. when uh, Cuomo was your star and Don Lemon was your star, you had a problem. And the again, the problem is you just won't admit it. You won't admit it to other people because you won't admit it to yourself. What you're telling yourself is, well, there are all these problems in the world that are keeping us from being successful. Maybe you might want to look in the mirror. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we'll move on from that because as a, as a recovering journalist myself, uh, I could talk about media bias all day and we've already gone 20 minutes. Donnie's going to kill me for going this long on the opening chit chat. All right. So uh, because a lot of the listeners and uh, viewers of this podcast probably don't watch a lot of CNN, we, we, we task uh, Chris Talgo for doing that for us. You may have missed highlights from Joe Biden's big climate speech yesterday uh, in Massachusetts. He uh, will get get uh, will will get that clip number one queued up here pretty quick, uh, Andy. So we're going to play some clips from that, and I think it it uh, it actually kind of proves that the message and we we talked a little bit earlier about do they really believe this or is this what they have to make us believe so that they can you know exercise all the power they would like, and I think it's much more the latter. Uh, but so here, go ahead and play clip one, Andy. Climate change is literally an existential threat to our nation and to the world. We need to act, but just take a look around. Right now, 100 million Americans are under heat alert. 100 million Americans. 90 communities across America set records for high temperatures just this year, including here in New England as we speak. And by the way, records have been set in the Arctic and the Antarctic, temperatures that are just unbelievable, melting the permafrost. It's, it's, it's astounding the damage is being done. Not a single Republican in Congress stepped up to support my climate plan. Not one. So let me be clear. Climate change is an emergency. And in the coming weeks, I'm going to use the power I have as president to turn these words into formal, official government actions through the appropriate proclamations, executive orders, and regulatory power that a president possesses. All right. So there are a few things there in those in those comments. Uh it's not a big deal that that 90 communities, is that what he said, across the uh, across the United States have set record highs. It happens every year. Mm. You, 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 there are 365 days in the year. The chance uh, statistically, the chances of you setting a new record high is probably you should probably get about three or four of them a month. <laughs> every month, you know, whether it's winter, spring, summer or fall. And the idea that, you know, the Arctic, the Antarctic are seeing temperatures higher than the, you know, the, the, the permafrost is, is, is melting and all that stuff. Saw an article just this morning that uh, ships in the summer, you know, again, Al Gore said that the Arctic would be ice free in the summer uh, by 2009, I think. So that's quite a while ago. It still has plenty of ice. In fact, it has so much ice this summer. It's a higher summer ice extent than normal. Ships are getting stuck and icebreaker ships have had to go up there to break some of them out. Uh, but on top of that, so so th- those are the kind of things that Joe Biden lays out as examples for, for declaring a climate emergency. Now, the environmental left was actually disappointed with what he said yesterday because he didn't officially declare a, a you know, a national emergency on climate. He just said that I'm just I'm going to take executive actions and, uh, you know, everything in my power. That could include declaring a national emergency for climate, a climate emergency. But the White House and their spokespeople are saying that's still on the table. So that's not what he did yesterday. Uh, Sam, I'll start with you. Uh, Let me set this up a little bit, because um, Bloomberg says that if Joe Biden were to officially declare a climate emergency, it would give the president broad executive authority to redirect funds for clean energy products or to restrict offshore drilling, even more than he's doing now. He could even use that power to curtail the movement of fossil fuels on pipelines, trains, and ships. That's quite radical. Uh, Politico notes that invoking a national emergency over climate change would enable President Biden to unleash sweeping actions to restrain greenhouse gas production, such as banning U.S. crude oil exports and offshore drilling, and it. 
which is what he said he wanted to do in the uh, campaign trail, by the way, or speeding the manufacturing of electric vehicles. Sam Karnick, this sounds like uh, basically the, the kind of war powers that FDR had so that we could win World War II and save the world. Do these people really think that the climate is such an emergency that we need to, uh, you know, take the government needs to take control basically of industry to save us? They seem to think that they can use the climate to uh, uh, as a pretense of an emergency in which they can do what is the in which they can accomplish their response to what is the real emergency which is uh, power restor being restored to the people of the United States of America. That's the real emergency. The real emergency was, was, uh, was the November elections being questioned. The real emergency was the run-up to the November 2020 elections. The real emergency is the upcoming election this year. The real emergency is people being able to make decisions for themselves not have their children uh, indoctrinated into bizarre theories that have absolutely no connection whatsoever to reality. That's the real emergency, is that the people of the United States of America have had a great experiment. They had a president who, for all his uh, idiosyncrasies and flaws, was very strong on devolving power to the people. He could have done a lot more, should have done a lot more, would like to have seen a lot more. I will like to see more of that in 2025 and on. Mm -hmm. That said, that was an experiment and it was a huge success, a terrific success. The economy was spectacular in 2019. It was that good. And now we have changed and done the opposite. We've said, let's not build things. Let's not drag, pull things out of the ground. Let's not serve one another. Those are the economy. That's what the economy is. It isn't some abstraction. It's people doing things for one another and building things and, and trading them with one another. That's what an economy is. And Joe Biden and the left have said, we need to shut this down. We need to get, uh, slow down this economy uh, in every way possible because otherwise people just get out of control. They do things that we don't have any uh, way of stopping. So we've had this big experiment and the public has said, no, thanks. We're moving on as soon as we get a chance. That's the emergency, Jim. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a political emergency for Joe Biden. Chris Talgo, I, the uh, political story also mentioned that uh, the obvious that this could be politically explosive uh, and even prove ruinous to his party's fortunes by sending gasoline prices soaring even higher. And he's, they also note that uh, any executive actions Biden would take would run the risk of uh, falling to the same Supreme conservative Supreme Court that has already hobbled his regulators ability to rein in carbon pollution. Uh, you know, when so. So, yeah, maybe Joe Biden will be dared to declare a climate emergency and take sweeping actions uh, to control our industry to, I mean, remarkably tell GM, I guess, and Ford to make more electric vehicles that you're not doing it fast enough to, to redirect the, you know, to basically to remake the power grid by fiat. Uh, it, so, you know, Politico puts up the obvious thing. Well, obviously the courts would stop this from happening. I mean, the last time there was a sketchy, uh, declaration of emergency by a president, it was Donald Trump declaring an emergency at the southern border, which 
you know, had the benefit of actually being an emergency and something that could be fixed quickly or at least temper, you know, it had the air of temper of being temporary, right? Uh, the climate crisis will never go away. It'll be 200 years from now and they'll still be under a climate emergency. But I guess what I'm getting here, Chris, maybe you can, you can talk, speak to this. You know, the Supreme Court already hop supposedly hobbled executive action on the climate in the West Virginia versus EPA uh, case. And yet the, the the very day that that decision came down, EPA, uh, the head of the EPA was saying how they were going to get around it. Are we still uh, are we still a nation of laws if the if the president Biden could declare a climate emergency? And if the if the courts, because the courts did stop Trump on his de declaration of emergency on the southern border, what if the courts say you can't do this and they just do it anyway? Uh, I think that that's a uh, very strong possibility. I, I uh, heard that the reason, like you said, that they were hesitant to de to uh, formally declare the national climate emergency was because they were afraid of pushback uh, from the courts. However, basically what they said was, OK, fine, then we'll just sidestep that and we will just issue executive orders, proclamations and all sorts of regulations to try to do as much of this as we can without formally declaring a national emergency. I think, first of all, this um, uh, you know, goes back to the, uh, the COVID emergency because we saw a whole bunch of uh, international organizations, uh, World Economic Forum, you know, United Nations, you know, so on and so forth, say that, OK, this is going to be like the, uh, the, the, the practice run for the real emergency, which is going to be the climate emergency, <laughs> which we're going to declare, you know, very soon. And here we are, you know, uh, a year and a half after, uh, you know, COVID. Uh, now they've got a new emergency, you know, up their sleeve. Um, but, Jim, one other, you know, quick thing. So across the media, uh, they are saying record heat waves, you know, record this, record that, uh, you know, volcanoes erupting, earthquakes, you know, tornadoes, uh, you know, all this stuff. I think that they should take a step back and think, you know what, the Earth has been in, you know, in existence for a couple billion years. Humans have only been able to measure these uh, weather events for a couple hundred years. It's so absurd to think that all this is happening in this tiny little short period of time in which we are able, humans are able to measure these events. Because, gee, on uh, Tuesday, I was up in Wisconsin in the Lake Geneva area. And hey, guess what? A couple of, uh, you know, 10,000 or so years ago, there's a mini ice age there. And that's why it's really hilly. So if there was a mini ice age there and we had glaciers in, you know, modern day Wisconsin, maybe we should be a little less, you know, uh, uh, you know, just so like like so so sure of ourselves that all this is happening and it's all due to, uh, you know, greenhouse gas emissions. And the only way to solve it is to declare a national emergency and blah, 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 blah. Maybe they should just take a step back and think, you know, maybe these things go in really long cycles. And, you know, obviously, I doubt they would ever do that because like you said it's about control it's about control and power and also making lots of money because hey gee it just so happens that a lot of people on the left a lot of leftist donors are really invested in green energy projects and the last time i checked gee al gore made a whole bunch of money selling uh that network that he created to oh my gosh it was one of those oil producing countries in the middle east oh geez <laughs> wow they're just complete and utter hypocrites. Yesterday, Joe Biden took Air Force One from Washington, D.C. to Boston and had his entire fleet of limousines uh, also airlifted from Washington, D.C. to Boston. The the sheer amount of carbon dioxide that that trip produced was more than the average American will produce possibly in their entire lifetimes.
So it is it just good, pure but hypocrisy. Plant, but it will be good for plants, the uh, carbon dioxide that they yeah. emitted. So that's a good thing. Uh, note that uh, President Biden has repeatedly said, well, I can't do much about gas prices because, well, Russia, you know, they're doing things over there that are very bad and, and they're affecting our gas prices. Well, wait a minute. What can you do about the climate when you completely ignore China, yeah. India, and other developing countries? And you just say, well, you know, as long as, as long as we are starving in the cold and in the brutal heat, the world will, will be okay. And China and India can modernize and pass us up. And that doesn't affect the climate. It's absolutely, utterly insane. It is. It is. And uh, I, I saw another story this morning. I think it was from uh, it was from Europe or somewhere. But it basically said that it was too hot for the solar panels to work properly, that they were not efficient at this at, the, at this level of heat. They're not efficient. So for the solar panels to work, you need like perfect 75 degrees, low humidity, wall to wall sunshine weather for them to work at peak efficiency. And then of, and of course, you know, solar panels work a lot less efficiently in the winter because the days are shorter and they can't get enough uh, energy, uh, you know, made, let alone stored. And people don't talk enough. We talk about it on this podcast. Heartland Institute talks about this a lot. But battery storage and making all of these batteries is uh, very, very harmful to the environment. Uh, I believe our friend, uh, our friends over at CFACT published a piece uh, a couple of months ago saying that it takes 500,000 tons of earth dug up, you know, uh, of minerals. But basically, you have to disturb 500,000 tons of earth to make one battery for a Tesla. Um, these things are never talked about. Windmills are wonderful at one. They're not awesome. They're not awesome at making reliable energy. They are fantastic bird killers. Absolutely. Bird and bat killers. Hundreds of thousands a year are killed by wind turbines. You know, the green, uh, the, our green betters are never have to answer for that kind of stuff. But I think it's starting to dawn on people that uh, th there is no way this is ever going to work. Uh, you know, we, you know, guys, we've talked about how are they really going to do this? Are they really going to do this? I mean, Germany right now is is getting back into the coal business because their uh, th their attempt to go to wind power has been a complete disaster. And energy prices are skyrocketing, tripling, quadrupling, going up five to six times what they were a year ago with brownouts as well. I mean, mm -hmm. it's it's insane. In fact, um, you know, one of the you know, Russia basically has all of Europe uh, held hostage to the gas uh, imported into countries like Germany. And they said today, actually, they're going to get the Nord Stream uh, pipeline. They're under maintenance right now, but they're low open it back up and everything will be fine. Although maybe we'll just reduce how much we're going to give you. So, you know, this this idea, they, they thought and they sold it this way, guys, that if we go to clean energy, we won't be dependent on Russia anymore. Um, you know, they had to know you don't have to have a degree in engineering to know that wind and solar are not going to power a modern economy, that you need natural gas brought in to power plants and to keep you warm. Yet they allowed themselves to be while saying that this will get us off of Russia's Russian dependence, being even more dependent on Russia and to the point where they're they're now. Basically, the entire economy of Europe is held hostage by Jim, by Russia. And this, Russia's, if you don't think Russia is going to exert that influence, you're crazy. Because but, who would give up that leverage for nothing? He's not going to give up that leverage for nothing. Well, and and, and that is that is such a uh, a sorry excuse because uh, we should not forget that in 2008, President Obama said that he wanted gas prices to go up so that uh, people could not afford uh, gasoline anymore. This is this has been in the making 
for decades. This is not a newfound thing that the left just stumbled upon, you know, in the last couple of years. This has been a long-term project where they want to fundamentally transform America, like Barack Obama said, right before he was elected. And they realized that one of the uh, ways that they could do it was through the energy sector by transforming our uh, energy sector from fossil fuels to renewables. The problem is, is that renewables are not ready for prime time yet. They're not even close to not ready close. for prime time yet. It's, it, it's, it's just not, it's, it's not, not feasible. And, uh, you know, Germany, they, they, they went on this, you know, uh, renewable train way before we did. And like you said, Jim, they're experiencing all sorts of problems there. I've got family who still live in Germany and in their town, they are uh, turning off the streetlights at night because they have to conserve power so much. It's it, it, it's getting really bad there. Yeah. And if you don't think that's coming to America, you haven't been paying attention to California and Texas over the last couple of years. OK, so right. we, I, I made these clips of, of Biden's speech. We're going to play them, darn it. Uh, <laughs> and this is the reason why uh, Joe Biden says he will not take no for an answer from, I guess, Congress or the American people when it comes to his climate agenda. Andy, go ahead, play clip four. When it comes to fighting for climate change, climate change, I will not take no for an answer. I will do everything in my power to clean our air and water, protect our people's health, to win the clean energy future. This, again, sounds like hyperbole. Our children and grandchildren are counting on us. Not a joke. Not a joke. Not a joke. If we don't keep it below 1.5 degrees centigrade, we lose it all. You don't get to turn it around. Now, so so there you go. I mean, I, I like to play these clips because I don't listen to Joe Biden all that often. But I think people actually should hear the words come out of his mouth or at least attempt him or his attempts to get these words out of his mouth. You know, manufacturing becomes manufacturing. Uh, you know, he slurs over things and his 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 mental decline is so obvious. Um, but it, it's kind of scary to see it with your own and hear it with your own ears and see with your own eyes that this is the man who's the leader of the free world and now setting trying to set climate policy by fiat in the United States. But Sam, th this this, uh, you know, if, if we if the world warms by one point five degrees centigrade by 2021, there's no going back. That's why we have these so-called net zero goals of by 2035 in some countries. I can't remember if that's the United States or not or by 2050, that all energy production, or basically your entire economy is net zero carbon emissions by 2050. <laughs> that is absolutely insane. But but Sam, these people, these people, well, let's just say they've indoctrinated at least two generations to seriously believe as a matter of faith that if we do not decarbonize our economies, that we will subject the earth to doom and to all of us to doom. There are children, there are teenagers who say, I do not want to have children because I can't, I can't in good conscience add to the destruction of the earth. Uh, so the climate cult has a real strong hold and we have leaders like Joe Biden. I sometimes I wonder if he really believes it, but they sure never tire of pushing that, that, that climate cultist apocalyptic message. I do wonder if he truly believes it uh, in, in the fundamentals of his heart and soul that 1.6 degrees centigrade will actually cause the world, I don't know, to start spinning in the other direction or something. <laughs> the, the whole notion is so bizarre. 
when you think about it, it's like he says 1.5 degrees. If we go beyond 1.5 degrees centigrade uh, temperature increase, the, the world is going to end and we won't be able to sustain life. We've been well above 1.5 degrees above where we are now many, many, many times in the past for centuries centuries and centuries we've been above this temperature so the, the notion that there there is some tipping point at which the 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 climate the world the global climate uh, becomes uh, a a catastrophe that that is simply out of its own control at that point the climate can't control itself anymore there's no evidence for that whatsoever it is an entirely speculative notion but the notion that somehow this then justifies ending all modern, ending the entire modern world for the modern world, but okay, having it in other countries such as uh, China and India and, and soon Russia, I suppose, but ending the modern world for that. Why are we, why do we look at it that way? If in fact there would be some bad consequences of, uh, of warming, which is entirely possible, although there would be good consequences as well. Right. It, it, which is very clear. But if there, if there would be bad consequences, just deal with those consequences. When, when we're struck by a drought, we deal with the drought. When we have too much rain, we have, we have uh, flood, flood uh, uh, prevention uh, uh, measures. So we can deal with these things. The notion that somehow we will reach a tipping point is critical, in fact, to the left. It's critical to them. Without it, they're stuck. They can't do anything because the consequences of what they do are truly catastrophic mm -hmm. to normal people. If you're a normal person and you're already paying uh, now four and a half dollars uh, per gallon of gas, as opposed to the the five dollars it was. So Biden says, "Hey, the gas prices are down." Well, they're not down since uh, twenty since January twenty twenty one. I know that much. Mm -hmm. But it, but so, so you're already paying that much for gas. You're paying so much more for electricity than you were before because your state is forcing you to pay for electricity made by windmills, a technology that is thousands of years old. Why are we doing these dumb things? Well, the reason we're doing these dumb things, I believe, going back to the original point, is simply to centralize power. Now, whether anybody on the uh, who is pro uh, promulgating these thoughts actually believes them is really not even important at this point. What's really important is that the consequences are visible. People have seen the results of the experiment of the last six years, and they don't like where we're going now. They say it in polls. We don't like the direction of this country. And then supposedly, they say, we don't like the direction of this country. And then supposedly, some 38% of them uh, approve of the job of the president. Tell me another one. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, you know, so another positive reason. Uh, Joe Biden keeps making this this argument all the time that all right, even if you don't believe the climate apocalypse, uh, the climate apocalypse pitch, uh, even if you don't believe any of that stuff, he says in this speech again, and uh, uh, we'll play it here in a second, that when he thinks of climate change, he thinks of jobs, 
as he once said famously when he was running for president before, uh, it's a three-letter word, J jobs, J-O-B-S. <laughs> he, thinks, he thinks of uh, climate change, he thinks of jobs. Uh, go ahead and play clip three, Andy. When I think about climate change, and I've been saying this for three years, I think jobs. Climate change, I think jobs. Almost 100 wind turbines going up off the coast of Massachusetts, Rhode Island, with ground broken and work underway. Jobs manufacturing 2,500 ton steel foundations that anchor these offshore wind farms to the sea floor. I've directed my administration to clear every federal hurdle and streamline federal permitting that brings these clean energy projects online right now and right away. You hear that? You hear that, everybody? You hear that, Chris Talgo? Uh, he's willing to move every federal uh, piece of red tape out of the way so that we can uh, use fossil fuels, actually, to create the 2,000 ton concrete bases for these windmills offshore. Uh, how do you think that's made, guys? How, how much CO2 is emitted in the atmosphere to make just one of those things? Uh, in fact, it's, it's uh, again, you don't have to be an engineer to know that the life cycle of a wind turbine probably will not produce enough energy to offset its own creation, let alone mm -hmm. its own destruction. But, you know, here we are in, in the middle of a gas and energy crisis in this country. The first thing Joe Biden did was cancel the Keystone XL pipeline. Uh, you know, one of the great things that, that made us energy independent during the Trump administration was that, you know, Trump didn't get enough credit. Well, this goes back to the earlier part of the podcast. He was severely criticized by the media for uh, getting rid of regulations that kept us from being energy independent. We can still protect the environment in an ecological, healthy manner while also producing enough energy to be energy independent. Trump proved that. But this president, Chris Talgo, is willing to 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 wipe away all of those environmental uh, <laughs> you know hurdles in the way of so-called green energy. Yet he won't do anything uh, to help us become energy independent, like drilling for our own oil, drilling for our own natural gas, fracking, more fracking, both onshore and offshore and all of that stuff. A couple of things. Uh, first of all, I want to remind all the viewers and listeners that Joe Biden said those comments while looking at a teleprompter and you can barely, barely eke out a speech from a teleprompter. Just, I, I, I'm, I'm just still shocked at that. Okay. Uh, so, you know, Joe Biden came into office. Yes. He uh, declared war on fossil fuels. He shut down Keystone XL. Many, many, many thousands of good paying jobs, you know, just were immediately eliminated. And uh, he has the audacity to tell us that, hey, but wait a second, uh, we're going to install these uh, these humongous wind turbines in, uh, you know, right off of our shores. And uh, and 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 he expects us to not understand that that's going to have a, a catastrophic uh, you know, effect on uh, fish and wildlife in that habitat. I mean, give me a break. But it's also just, you know, it's, it, it is just preposterous for him to tell us that he's all about jobs. He's all about reducing red tape when his administration has been all about killing fossil fuel based jobs and increasing red tape. So, Come on, you know, man. so th 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 this guy is desperate, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures. I think they're just throwing everything at the wall, hoping that something will stick and hoping that the American people will buy this. But like I said earlier, I think the American people see through this. I think the American people are a lot smarter than Joe Biden and Ron Klain and whoever else is running, you know, the administration right now, uh, actually give them credit for. Let's talk about uh, real consequences here. As far as jobs go, 
uh, Biden says, well, th- we're going to create jobs. And he always says that, and he always mentions that they're going to be union jobs. Well, unless they're teachers, they're probably not going to be union jobs that you're creating because all the all the union's growth is in is in the government employees. But that said, now, when it comes to jobs, there's been a again, let's look at the experiments, the, the real world experiments in Spain. They went green and it, they found that it took more jobs away than than you got. And that's because the reason we have fossil fuels is because they are productive and they increase productivity. So when you increase productivity, you don't get fewer jobs, you get more jobs. How does that work? Biden is operating as the left does in general under what's called the, the, the broken windows fallacy, which is the idea that, okay, if you're a shopkeeper and somebody breaks your window, and it costs you $150 to replace that window, well, that's a net plus to the economy because you're giving that money to somebody to fix that window, and therefore the money is going to go around the economy, and that person will buy bread and and buy um, uh, maybe some energy, maybe some coal. But the whole point is that once you once you break a window, you destroy, and, and by destroying, you actually increase economic activity. But Bastiat pointed out that that's false because the the $150 would have been spent on other things. And those $150 would have been spent on what? More productive things because everything is more productive. uh, Practically everything is more productive than replacing a broken window after you breaking a window and then replacing it. So what Biden is doing is breaking our energy system and replacing it. And saying, see, we're going to create jobs, but all the invisible jobs that you killed are forgotten. You don't want to talk about that. Well, we do. On, on the very on the very spot where he was giving that speech, he bragged that uh, you know the new green energy project on that spot was going to create 250 new union jobs. The Keystone XL pipeline, when he canceled that, canceled 11,000 jobs. Uh, let alone right. because it's a long distance, all the other ancillary jobs that come with it or the economic activity that comes with it. And so it's always, it's always, as somebody says here, it's always fairy dust. It's always bad. Uh, but those jobs are invisible, Bad Jim. economics. Those well, are the it, invisible jobs. And well, they don't and, count. And, and, you know, they they had that, uh, that speech at a uh, shuttered coal plant. I wonder how many people used to work at that shuttered coal plant. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, we have uh, we have 10 minutes to go. I, I was going to play the clip of uh, Joe Biden saying that he got cancer from uh, being living downwind from an oil refinery in Philadelphia. Uh, but you, you can find that everywhere. And it's ridiculous. Oil uh, from the sky in, in Delaware, apparently. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You'd have to literally no joke. No joke. I mean this. You know, you would turn on your windshield wipers and it would smear oil across and they'd have <laughs> to do that before they could see where they were going. Uh, I've had oil on my windshield before. When you use the windshield wipers, you actually see worse than if you didn't put them on at all. So <laughs> even from a even from a technical perspective, it was uh, it was not good. So we're going to go to the second topic here, and and it's something related to this, and something that is uh, I think really uh, it, it's it's all part of this 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 fantasy. People just can't be buying it. Uh, you know, when they see their energy bills, you know, at the end of the summer, you know, when people's air conditioning have been on for most of the month of July and they see their electricity bill come in, they're going to be shocked. 
uh, we are artificially raising energy prices in this country to help feed this green delusion. And one of the biggest uh, you know, proponents of the green delusion when it comes to transportation in this country is Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. He was uh, on, he, he testified recently in Congress and then he was on uh, a news program where he, uh, he thought, you know what? I'll say it out loud. These high gas prices are great because it's going to just help us transition to the future. So, uh, uh, Andy, why don't you go ahead and play clip six? The more pain we are all experiencing from the high price of gas, the more benefit there is for those who can access electric vehicles. I'm still astonished that, that some folks, uh, and, and I, I felt this, I was testifying in Congress yesterday, um, some folks seem to really uh, struggle to let go of the status quo. You hear that, guys? So so we hmm. struggle to let go of the status quo and high gas prices actually are beneficial to those who have electric electric vehicles. Electric vehicle costs sixty thousand uh, dollars. We're all just supposed to jump in them and, by the way, plug them into a to a uh, power grid that would never come close to being able to sustain that many vehicles plugged in. I don't even know where to begin on this, but here here's just one one funny thing. Justin, uh, Justin Haskins is driving across the country right now from North Carolina to Oregon. Could you imagine if he had to do that in a electric vehicle? <laughs> it would take like, it would take like four weeks. He must, have to stop and, and, and I would rather like, use a Conestoga I mean, wagon. I think you yeah. would make better progress. He'd I mean, get there. He'd get there faster sailing around the, 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 yeah. the Southern tip of South America. Right. Not, even, not even taking right. the Panama Canal. Yeah, exactly. So it's just, it, once again, it's like, come on guys. We, we all know they're not ready for prime time yet. There's not nearly enough charging stations. They're totally unaffordable. And you know what? I liked the status quo a couple of years ago when gas was like two fifty <laughs> a gallon. So please, can we stick with the, can we, can we go back to the status quo of pre Joe Biden, please? Sam, and again, and again, this is the this is the broken windows theory that we're let's just let's just break all the internal combustion cars, get rid of them, and then hey, we'll have a whole lot of jobs because we have to build electric cars. Well, guess what? You don't have the materials with which to build the electric cars. What's more, you don't have the materials with which to power them. You don't have any of it. When you let the market decide things. The resources get put to their best use, human resources, physical resources, all of them, and, and, and financial resources. When you, when you let government, when you let a small group of people, maybe it's the World Economic Forum, maybe it's a, a large uh, a multinational corporation that has a functional monopoly, when you let these small groups of people decide things, it never works. It's never positive. It's never better. It's never better than just doing your own business. Breaking windows isn't good. And that's what we continually do all the time under progressive government. Yeah. And, and here, just for some more proof of how, uh, how impractical electric vehicles are right now, maybe they could be practical. I mean, maybe you can get a little electric scooter to help Joe Biden get from place to place, you know, like they do in the grocery stores. That's a good use of it. It would fall vehicle. off. Yeah, probably. <laughs> it need to be autonomous and, and, and have, a, have a bubble over it so it doesn't fall out. But uh, a website called hotcars.com 
uh, they actually did a towing contest to see. And remember, you might remember Joe Biden was pictured in the front seat driving a uh, an electric Ford F-150 pickup truck to show us rubes out here in the Midwest who uh, who like pickup trucks that, you know, the, the electric future may have this as well. Uh, and so they did a towing contest to see if the Ford 150 Lightning pickup uh, versus a GMC Sierra Denali. Uh, they see who could travel, and that's a V8 engine in that Denali, to see who could travel the farthest on one charge and versus one fill-up. And so they put this on, on, their YouTube, on their YouTube channel, the Fast Lane, the Fast Lane Truck YouTube channel. And they found that, uh, you know, like, again, here, I'll just read it. The goal is simple. Two identical trailers get coupled to two trucks. The one who goes farther wins. The difference this time was that one of the vehicles, while electric, because Ford claims that the Ford F-150 Lightning is, is as capable as any other gas-powered pickup on the market, but without tests like this, the consumer may never know if that's the honest truth, or I'll add this, <laughs> that he's being swindled. Uh, it turns out that uh, the GMC Sierra Denali did its job. It hauled the trailer behind them for as long as they needed to go. The uh, Ford pickup truck had to go to a to a, uh, a charging station after about 80 miles, I think. Uh, and it was not easy for them to plug that thing in because those things, you know, with the trailer actually hitched to it without blocking everybody else and taking up half the parking lot. Uh, and so, you know, it's here at the end. On the drive, the two drivers compare the capacity of their trucks. The Sierra is making 6.7 miles per gallon. That's the GMC, internal combustion engine, gasoline, normal truck. So 6.7 miles a gallon is not necessarily horrible when comparing to other vehicles on the market. The F-150, however, is making an abysmal seven tenths of a mile per kilowatt hour. Yes, <laughs> under one mile per kilowatt hour while towing a truck. And after a stressful 85.9 miles, the battery in the, F1, uh, the F-150 electric has run out. And with uh, 129 miles of range left, the uh, GMC Sierra, with this gasoline, still had 129 miles to go uh, after the, the, the electric Ford conked out. It's embarrassing that they are trying to sell us this pig in a poke of electric vehicles when they, they haul out trucks like this saying, you'll still be able to go on vacation. You'll still be able to go to camp. You'll still be able to go hunting in, in your electric uh, Ford F-150. Guys, no, you won't. No, you won't. Because because we, we as we've said time and time and time again, they are trying to, uh, you know, push something that is not ready, you know, for, uh, you know, for prime time yet. And, you know, it's, it, 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 it is so frustrating that they are trying to, you know, make it seem as if these uh, electric trucks and these electric cars in general are going to, you know, be, oh, they're going to be so convenient. They're going to save you all this money. They're going to, you know, just be like a, you know, lifestyle, you know, uh, change for the better when, when obviously that is not true. Obviously, there are not enough charging stations across this country, especially if you live in a rural area. If you live out in like middle of nowhere, Montana, how are you going to charge your your you know your truck if you're going you know on a, on a long journey? It's just not even close to being ready yet. It, I, I don't even know what else to say about it. Yeah, well, if you let people decide. No hmm. subsidies, no regulations, no uh, unfair treatment of of one over the other. If you let people decide, they would choose obviously the internal combustion engine. How do we know that? Because we had electric vehicles when we first started building cars. That's right. And they were supplanted by the internal combustion engine, as were horse-drawn carriages. Yeah. This is a better technology 
for uh, all things equal. Now, if you let people choose, they will drive internal combustion engines. That's the real problem here. That's the real emergency is that people choose. Yeah, absolutely. We don't want that. Nope. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so what, I know we're at, we're here at the end, but I just want to play this one more clip because I think it's extraordinary. Uh, uh, Representative Tom Massey, uh, during one of these hearings where Buttigieg was there, pretty much owns Pete Buttigieg and explains in very easy to understand terms why this electric vehicle future they keep shoving down our throats is not practical. Andy, go ahead and hit clip seven. Average uh, household uses 17% of their electricity for air conditioning. And um, that would mean the average household uses 1,870 kilowatt hours per year for air conditioning. If that average household plugged in electric cars, do you know how much more electricity they would use in comparison to the air conditioning that air conditions their whole house? No, but again, I would emphasize it will well, be less Let me help, you, let me help you with that first before we go on, because the numbers are important. It would take four times as much electricity to charge the average household's cars as the average household uses on air conditioning. Do you think that could be? So if we reach the goal by 2030 that Biden has of a 50 percent adoption instead of 100 percent adoption, that means the average household would use twice as much electricity charging one of their cars as they would use for all of the air conditioning that they use for the entire year. Game, set, and match, if you ask me. I mean, it's just, and, and Pete Buttigieg is sitting there just lying, saying, oh, but overall, we will save energy overall. No, no, you won't. It's it's not, it's just not going to happen. They they are lying to you about these things. If you didn't already know it was impractical, just by instinct. Uh, Jim, that's a, that's a really good point. I just wanted to quickly uh, gloss on that a bit. The fact is you have to move X number of pounds, X number of miles. You're not saving energy. You have to use a certain amount of energy to get that X number of pounds, X number of miles. That's how it works. The only question is, what kind of energy are you going to use? What does it cost to produce it? What does it cost to use it? The, the, the only thing I wanted to add was, you know, not only is uh, uh, Pete Buttigieg lying about this stuff, but he doesn't even he doesn't have the, the information available, which shows that he's not even serious and he should not be taken seriously. Absolutely. Well, well, we can hope that this madness will end. You know, they say that uh, your dreams, dreams smacking into the face of reality is the end of those dreams. <laughs> it's reality and dreams are mixed like oil and water. And and uh, I hope that we actually hit that reality before there's too much suffering going on in the United right, States. Right, exactly. And with that happy, happy note, we will end the podcast for today. Thank you so much for listening to the In the Tank podcast presented by the Heartland Institute. If you have not done so already, please subscribe to our channel, Heartland Tube on YouTube, also In the Tank podcast channel on YouTube. You can find it in the search bar and get our podcasts and subscribe to those anywhere you can get your audio podcasts. Sam Karnick, how can people follow you online and learn more about you? Thank you. At ST Karnick on all your uh, apps and go to heartlanddailynews.com to get the latest policy news to find out what the government is doing to you. Very good. And Chris Talgo, how can people find you? Uh, so we always want you to go to heartland.org and stoppingsocialism.com. All right. And you can follow me at Jay Lakely on Twitter and also follow the Heartland Institute at Heartland Inst on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening and watching, and we will talk to you next week.
And by the way, you know, I sit on the stand and it get hot. I got a lot of, I got